Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. So Marielle, habits are uh, something we all deal with. Right. We, we all have good and bad habits. And these habits allow us to do things like behavior change when we are doing something we like or dislike. And we want to change that. Sometimes it enables or inhibits burnout if you don't do life well and you can't bend your habits and break them or make them, etc. And at the core of all that is like this life balance that happens because of this core thing that is is really scientific it's it's a habit so let's open up with habits you know how they affect us and maybe even deeper into what they actually are so habits are really just i mean from a science perspective a neural network that's been built repeatedly over time i don't know if you're familiar with the neurochemicals but what i mean by that is sort of like the messengers in it that are specific to the brain so there's a key neurochemical that we call dopamine that is really at the heart of habit formation. And so habits are this embedded neural network wherein this neurotransmitter says, that feels really good. Let's do that again. That's a positive thing. Yeah, it's a payout. And so we are apt to repeat things that pay, very simply. Yeah. And so how it pays for you and how it pays for me and how it pays for anybody else is going to differ because who has the same brain? Right. So we are going to be more prone to repeat things, to do things over and over and over again that feel good to us for one reason or another. And those things that we do usually have a cue. And that cue is highly tethered to an environment. It's also, there's a significant role of social community Mm -hmm. as a part of whatever habit we do that also is going to make us more apt to repeat a certain behavior. So habits fundamentally are there's a cue, then there is some anticipated response that goes with it, and then a reward that comes from that. This is why they're hard to break. Yeah. Because Remember that, and I think we've mentioned this in other episodes, but we are electrochemical beings. Yeah. And that means that we have this energy, and so there's chemical processes and there's electrical processes. And so where I've mentioned about how neurons either fire or they don't, it's it's an all-or-nothing sort of gig, that when our brains are cued to respond, the neuron fires – And then it connects to all these other neurons, which together we call a network. 
and that that when I have that same cue, it's like the current just runs. Mm. So it runs the same play. There's a lot more um, sort of research around this, even within the field of sports psychology in terms of training, because you want to practice training the way you want to play. Right. Because your brain doesn't know the difference, whether it's a game or it's practice. Michael Phelps is a, is a famous example of that recently in the Olympics with his training methodology was was how he wanted to execute his, you know, his run, his swim, whatever it was, his meet, you know, whatever the yeah. terms are they use for that. And so he practiced his daily routine was as if it was a winning day every single day. Exactly. And there's been athlete upon athlete. I'm totally blanking for whatever reason on there was also a football player who always trained the exact same way. It was a running back and he would catch it and run it to the goal as though it were an actual game. Because what you're doing is building that firing system to respond a certain way. Ironically, it was Tony Dungy. Are you familiar with him? No. He was the he was the coach for the Indianapolis Colts for a number of years, but his whole methodology of coaching was based on this habituation wherein he would train the players to respond or react without actually thinking that they would simply be faster in running a reaction repeated over time, over time, over time, over time, because that's going to be more effective than actually thinking through mm. what do I need to do now in that moment. Yeah, this this idea of like, don't make me think or having to put that, I mean, if you even just think about it in terms of latency, right? In terms yes. of like uh, executing something, if there's a measure of time in there, this latency buffer, so to speak, of a decision, if you can remove that, the timeline between cue, routine, reward is faster if you remove the thinking part. If you remove that buffered time for you know, a thought pattern or a new change or a new choice. It might even be why it's so addictive because they're so fast to do. They have it just happen before you even know it really even. Exactly. And so if you can even think of the acronym CAR, like Q, anticipated response and reward, it's like you're just getting in your car and running all yeah. the time. And so the more that you cue yourself up in order to do a certain behavior – you're just going to repeat that over and over and over again, which is exactly why it's so hard to change them. Yes. Gosh, man. <laughs> right? So even thinking like, why do I continue to do the things that I don't want to do? So let me ask you potentially a uh, inception level question is, uh, can a habit be a habit, so to speak? So are my bad habits actually habits as well? You know, it, it, am I prone to execute bad habits because that's my habit? Precisely. Yeah, we all are. It's not an Adam thing or a Marielle thing. It's it's a fundamental human thing. Right. Because we just practice them over and over again. Right. Like you've heard of even muscle memory. Which is very interesting. Muscle memory is, is, is super interesting to me. Yeah, because so your brain is running a play according to what's practiced. There, ironically, was a um, research study done around um, building thumb strength. And what they did is actually had people just practice moving their thumb or visualize moving their thumb and whether or not it actually built strength in their thumb. Is that right? And what <laughs> researchers, I mean, they're wow. crazy, right? They're just curious. The curiosity is endless. Right. So what they discovered was 
actually that even though while just visualizing didn't build the same amount of strength in the thumb without doing the actual thing, it still did. It still did. I'm, I'm so hopeful. You- There's something I'm doing right now. If I'm doing it, I am going to be amazing. I'll tell you why in a second or two. Continue. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of habits, really, and being able to change them. Because if you can identify the certain cue that's going to make you sort of default into running that play, welcome to the payout. Right. And so, you know, whatever we do, muscles will be built. We're going to repeat the things that we practice. I've heard a, a story once about some guy who has went over to his neighbors and uh, he was fixing his lawnmower or something. And he's like, oh, better you than me. You know, like, I'm just not very good. And just without any, you know, hesitation, the guy's like, that's just because you don't practice. You just don't want to do it. Oh, dang. Burn. (laughs) (laughs) But we we all make these choices around how much dividends it's going to pay. And dopamine is at the heart of that. Yeah. And so imagine you're going to get a kickback. Your brain is going to be like, ooh, that feels good every time I do that behavior. Because it feels good to me. It doesn't have to feel good to anybody else, but it feels good to me. So I'm going to then go redo it. So we have to learn if we're going, how do I, if I'm like, oh, everybody has a habit they don't like, right? How do I then change it? How do I modify bad habits I don't want? I have to repeal and replace. I have to acknowledge, one, that there's a habit that isn't working well for me, and then look at how I'm going to rope in, how do I tether in a feel good? Mm. Because that's why I'm going to do the old bad habit. It still feels good. Right. It's what <laughs> you know. If, it's what you trust. It's easy. You've done it a thousand times or more or whatever. So it's what you know. It And, and the familiarity. It is. And this is comfort. You got it. Because I'm going to repeat, even if I know, like intellectually, I can be like, that's not good for me. I really shouldn't do that. But my brain is still going to be like, but remember, remember that time you felt good? Let me, here, right. I will give you a preview yes. of what that felt like. My gosh, that is actually my inner dialogue whenever, <laughs> <laughs> what you just said there, it's literally my inner dialogue. It's kind of funny because we, we will choose that comfort and and we'll even rationalize to ourselves in the moment. You don't, like you just said, you don't want to do this for all these right, all these reasons. However, it's okay because we've done it before, or it's okay because we haven't been hurt yet, or this expected or anticipated result hasn't happened yet. So we still have time to correct things. And for now, I'll just do it the old way because it's comfortable. Yeah. And so... A lot of people will look at this in terms of, you know, healthy habits. So be it exercise, eating habits, but also relationships, right? It's hard to break relationships. I always give the sort of visual picture of the energy ball at the science museum. That when you put your hand on it, all the electricity goes to that area. I love that. I love that thing. And so in all of our life, we're going to repeat things it's like where the energy is, no matter what. And mm-hmm. so if I can acknowledge that in some way, whatever I'm doing pays, then I can go, all right, how do I hack it? How do I create an interrupt? And interestingly, 
the way in which we hack it has to do with leaving the cue the same and leaving the reward the same. But I'm going to run interference with that anticipated response, the middle. Mm. So if it's in relationship, I'm I'm always reacting or I, I tend to yell when I don't want to yell or, you know, procrastination, yeah. right? I, I tend to put off like, I know, I know it's not going to pay to put this off, but it feels better right now yes. to not do it. <laughs> I have to go, all right, how else might I imagine still getting some hit of dopamine, some feel good from doing the less desirable behavior? And the key is I have to look at what's literally going to pay for me. That could be as easy as as just making a list and the initial interference is the list and the reward is completing the list. You know, so if you want to change a habit, sometimes just making yourself a list and completing the list is enough of an accomplishment, right? Because you want to have some sort of like positive thing that's that you can sort of like reflect on and examine as like, okay, when I hit this boundary again, I can remind myself of this successful thing I can do to start to create these like large emotional states that begin to change and shape our our neurons, the fire and et cetera. Yeah, some of it is, it, whatever we're putting off, it feels, because feelings also play a role in this, yes. feels more aversive to us in the moment. And so that's why always looking at what you don't want to look at. I am going to just start by looking at that thing that feels overwhelming. So be it laundry, a work project, a bank account, <laughs> our eating habits, Looking at the the data that I don't want to look at is a step. And then you'd be like, I didn't want to do it. And guess what? I did. So now I get the emotional payout of like, I did the aversive thing. And so, yay, look at me. I can be proud of myself because while that might not have been hard for anybody else, it was hard for me. And I know I did it when I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And so now I'm building strength. I want to talk about some caveats to this because I wish it were that easy and simple. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not. No. Well, one thing I want to talk about is there's a social component to habits. This is also why they're harder to break. If I'm hanging around with a group of people who do things, do behaviors that I don't want to practice, guess what I'm more likely to do? You're going to be influenced by them. Correct. Not because of desire, but like if we take this whole sense of habit formation and put it way to the extreme, this would look like addiction, right? Be it, you know, I'm addicted to cigarettes or I'm addicted to alcohol or any other more benign thing. But it's that it's harder to quit when our friend group or it's harder to change when our our, our habits are embedded in our network because who wants to lose out on that? Yeah. I mean, I live in a in a predominant military community and I don't think it's this way anymore, but once upon a time, you got more breaks if you smoked when you were working on a ship. That's true because you would just yeah, yeah. Right? And so not only do you get a break from your job, but guess what you're doing? You're hanging out with other people. Right, you're mingling. 
Yeah. It's the water cooler. <laughs> yeah. And so we don't want to lose out on that because that too pays. Yeah. Why would you, yeah. Why would you want to quit smoking whenever, you know, you've got, that's your buddy time. That's your hangout time. Exactly. And so looking at going, okay, in what way am I getting a hit of social connection when I do this habit? So I can talk about it from a more aversive standpoint, like looking at it from people who are uh, fearful of or overwhelmed by going into the weight room in a gym. Mm. I bet you about uh, several thousand hands just went up just now. (laughs) Yeah, well, if you're one, are going for the first time, like you don't hang out in the gym often. And so two, you're not where you want to be from a health standpoint. Or you're then you add in like, I'm unfamiliar, so I'm going to look less than intelligent or less than competent in that setting, I've already got three hits before I've even imagined like going in there. That's or that's just in the imagination part. That's not in the actual doing. So I'm not going to then be prone to be like, yeah, I think I'll go work out in a gym where everyone can watch me. I'm on display. I don't know what I'm doing. And hi, you can see too, I'm not where I want to be health-wise. Right. Yeah. So much, so much uh, yeah, just a lot of discomfort there. A lot of just assumptions too about what other people are thinking because they're probably thinking the same thing. Is she looking at me? Is he looking at me? Judging me? Yeah. And then you got this shame in, involved. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How you feel about yourself is on reflection, big time. But this is why, if you're like, okay, so then would it would it pay more for me to adopt some other healthier habits like exercise? in the comfort of my own home where I run interference with that obstacle? Or what if I join a training group that's like looking at doing a triathlon or a a 10K? Or I enlist another friend to engage in walking or running or swimming or Zumba or you name it. Right. That's why I like your idea of embedding the routine portion of it, right? You got your cue. So to to recap, you know, sort of the the mechanics of a habit is you got your cue, you have this playbook that plays this routine. And then as a result of all that, you have a reward. And so that's the sort of the ongoing system of a habit. But you mentioned embedding uh, this behavior change into the the execution part of it, the middle part of it. The, so the routine that you play out. Correct. Embedding this change you want to do into something else. So on the note of, of health and fitness, one thing I've done to be more because um, my hand went up when you mentioned, you know, hating gyms. I don't, I don't really care for gyms. And it's not because I don't like them. It's just like, you know, I just feel on display, un- uncomfortable, et cetera, what you just mentioned. So what I've done is I've embedded my fitness into something I actually enjoy, which is mountain biking. Yes. Right. So now I'm far more fit today than I have been the last several years because I'm habitually and motivated by going out and mountain biking. And that's a very high fitness, you know, sometimes group activity, too. But it's not the gym, but I'm getting very similar physical activity. So I've that's one habit I've changed with physical fitness and health is by embedding this desirable thing into my routine. Right. But you hacked it. And I would say the social component for you might be other other people outside of your family, but also your family. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just loading on that dopamine, the reward system that's like, I'm doing something that's good for me, that's good for my family, that's good. It has far-reaching implications. And so, in that case, you don't have to have this, like, whole jury trial about whether or not you're going to exercise today. Right. 
Yeah. When you're trying to do the rationalization to say, like, let's convince you that this is important. You know it'll pay out. Where on the other side of you is like, oh, no way. No way. Well, let me tell you the, the extended version of this. Okay. Is that, uh, so now I realize that, uh, so my initial hack to getting to where I'm at is let me find something that's uh, fun to do as fitness rather than feeling like, like a drone having to go to the gym. And being a robot and whatever. Mm. Not that that's bad. If it's for you, it's for you. Whatever. It's not for me. Um, so the one layer to this is actually now that I really enjoy mountain biking and I realize that I'm less physically fit than I want to be, while I do get my fitness from mountain biking, that doesn't mean I get stronger because of it. Over time I might, but it's not like lifting weights or strength training or even particular training you might want to do to be better at mountain biking. Right, which is a lot of upper body movement, a lot of legs, a lot of back, a lot of core. Yeah. You know, it's so now I'm motivated by my initial motivation to hack my routine to go to the gym. Oh my gosh, <laughs> right? So, right. Now I've gotten right. my, now I'm actually, I, so I'm still executing on this, y'all, but I'm so much closer to actually getting to the gym because now I want to be a better mountain biker and I realize my limitations and what I'm going to have to do to get there. Yeah, but do you see how you braided in, you moved it on over so that your brain can see the payout as opposed to it being a rational sort of ethereal, like, I know this in a non-relatable way. Your brain has real-time data that goes, yeah. So you just got rid of that whole sort of internal conflict around whether or not I go, but rather you found out that it, it's going to help you both now and later in a myriad of ways. So your whole system just exploded. Yeah. I also want to talk about the other aspect that is an obstacle, and that is willpower, because you hacked over that too. Yeah. Still working on the willpower part. It's a That's a daily, uh, you know, so if you study willpower further, which I'm sure you have, Muriel, <laughs> mostly speaking to the general audience, Studying willpower is pretty intensive because um, it's it's a resource that does have limits, right? It is. And you can only – we've talked about this uh, ourselves either on some sort of episode or in a side conversation. But basically, you only have so much to go around. Yeah, that's the thing. Willpower is definitely a muscle. We – have to consider that when we're looking at building new habits or new neural networks because I know that what can be sort of commonplace is ending up more frustrated with ourselves or with others. Like, why? Why can't I just fix this? Like, I know better, but I can't sustain it. And so it very much is rooted in this idea of willpower. So I only have a limited supply. This is why it's always easier to adhere to a new behavior or a new regimen earlier in the day when that's bigger. And so I don't know if we've talked about this research study about the radishes and the cookies. Have I mentioned this? Uh, we've definitely talked about it. I'm not sure if it made it on tape, so retell it. Okay. So there was this research study done by psychologists wherein they recruited a bunch of college students I believe it was, and had them not eat for like some hours. I think it was like four hours before they arrived for the testing site. Come hungry, basically. Basically, right? And then they had plates of radishes and cookies in three different rooms. And one group, they said, hey, we just need you guys to sit here 
And you can eat as many radishes or cookies as you want. Like, just wait. We'll be back in a little while. And the next group, they they said, hey, you guys can eat as many radishes as you want, but no cookies. You need to stay away from those. And the last group, they're like, I know you see these plates of radishes and cookies, but you need to just totally abstain, all right? We'll be back in a little while. So after some time passed, they uh, came in and gave the different groups puzzles to solve. The only problem was that these puzzles weren't actually solvable, right? Always psychologists, right. I tell you, right? Pulling some sort of <laughs> some sort of game. Uh huh. So what they found out is that the group who couldn't eat anything, who had to abstain from radishes and cookies, gave up nearly immediately. They had spent all of their willpower to not eat that which was in front of them when they were in fact hungry. Right. And so they then didn't have it to spend, so to speak over in this other lane. And so it the results went down successively from that. So the next group then ha- worked on the puzzles for a longer period of time. And the final group who was able to eat freely just continued to work, continued to work, and continued to work because they weren't out of a supply. Yeah. And so if you can, even in this process of modifying habits, be gracious with yourself in recognizing that, you know, as... There are other stressors, challenges, you know, your resources internally are going to other things in your life that you're considerate of those. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the acronym HALT, HALT, H-A-L-T. I I think maybe it rings a bell, but refresh my memory. So HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So I haven't heard of this one. (laughs) (laughs) So... We, it doesn't matter whether you're 3, 23, 53, or 73. If you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you will inevitably make different decisions than if you're not any of those. And so I see willpower as sort of fitting in some of these. If you have the, because it's sort of physiological, right? I mean, your body is sending signals like, I am hungry, feed me. Right. I need more energy. I need nourishment, right? I'm lonely, so my emotions are front runner. So there's all of these different things that contribute to our personalized experience of stress, which will then affect our willpower, which then in turn affects how we run our habits. Mm. So I am huge when we're going, so how do we then hack these and change our habits considering these other factors? And I would say one of the things is to take a minute to, to reflect on your resources. If you are in a certain season of life, so to speak, or psychosocial stressor that's taking more of an energy draw from you, mm-hmm. like it's pr- that's probably not the wisest time to imagine creating a major hack in one of your habits. Wow, yeah. Timing has got to be key then. Yeah, right? and I would say because you got to get through that time period to eventually be in a good place to do some change. So it seems like maybe even like change uh, can't happen as often as we might like because you know we're we're often in stressful environments. Well, right, and at least identifying that as a component. So what I want people to do is consider ways in which they can set more successful or attainable goals. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to change like a significant habit, like what are sort of mini wins that I are going to give me that hit of dopamine that maybe it's not taking all of my willpower 
but some of it. And so then when during the day am I going to do that? You know, I think of it for me, I always say like I exercise first thing in the morning. And part of that is, is because I'm a mom who I'm a mom. I work outside of the home. And I have other, my kids are in activities. My husband has other things. I have different roles and responsibilities. Yeah. And so if I don't do it. You won't. First, yeah. Yeah. And mm. so then it's easy. It's not really a decision because either I do it right now or, or I don't, period. Yeah. Well, you have to think about your time too, right? Like you, uh, so you might be able to put some time in, in the evening time, but that would take away from other things you're optimizing for. Sure. And and I might go, well, okay, so if I want to hack that, I could look at other things I could do in the evening with my family. Or like because seasons of my life have changed and that my kids are involved in activities that have access to like a track that I could run right. in the evening. When my I know my kids are cared for, they're involved in some activity, I could also run the track. And that wasn't something that was accessible to me when my kids were under the age of five. So look at the context of your own life and think about like, okay, where am I? And let's let's start there because where you are versus where your friend is versus where a sibling might be, like it's all varied. What's interesting is habits seem so simple you mentioned before how we can shame ourselves because we just can't get it that relating to willpower and we just can't seem to get over X, whatever it might be, because we feel like we just can't will ourselves over it. What's interesting is that to really examine habits and as a human try to uh, establish good habits or change bad habits is that it really takes a lot of self-awareness, you know, a lot of like key ingredients that are sort of required to even be aware of a bad habit or good habit and then to establish things like you said, take stock of your resources, look at the context of your own life, et cetera, to be able to have the right kind of tooling to do the job. Yeah, most certainly. And, you know, interestingly enough, and, and I look forward to talking more about this in upcoming episodes, but remember that our frontal lobe is responsible for a lot of planning and organizing information, but also self-awareness. Like, I don't know if I've shared this, but like that is often impaired in people with brain injury, especially frontal lobe injuries, that you could tell them something about what they do and they would be like, no, I don't. No, I didn't. Mm. <laughs> because they literally lack that capacity in their brain. And so self-awareness, aside from brain injury, is pliable. So you can grow, you can change your ability to be aware of yourself and therefore what you're doing so that you have access to different options and recognizing like what is going to be the buy-in for me then in light of these stressors, what am I willing to give up so that I can get this other habit or aspect of my life to feel the way in which I want it to feel. I really think that is a key part because as we talked about initially too, feelings being fundamental right. to being human, not only are habits paying us dopamine, but other feelings too. Like there's other emotions that it's like, you know, I, I feel better. I feel more alive, energized, or even I like myself mm -hmm. more. 
like when I don't yell at my family or when I don't lose my temper or when I'm simply more considerate and calm, like I can enjoy myself, generally speaking. I would also say that, um, or at least ask the question whether or not control is a piece of that too, because when we're when we're vulnerable, which is a lack of control, right? Sure. Um, you know, a bad habit may induce vulnerability and a good habit may induce, you know, uh, the opposite of vulnerability, you know, strength. Sure. You know, so when we're in bad habit zone, you know, if that's, if that's a figurative place to be, bad habit zone, we feel vulnerable and therefore we just feel uh, less in control of our life. Sure. And I would offer that part of that is really you your experience sort of physiologically and emotionally would be one wherein your locus of control lies outside of you. So I am only able to manage myself to the degree that I can manage everything in my world that I actually don't have charge over, which doesn't work. No. Right. And so what we're talking about, even with habits, is recognizing ways in which you actually have this internal toolbox. You have access to resources, strategies, skills, tools that help you do you Mm -hmm. to the best way that you can. Yeah. Let's equip people then with some particular tooling that they can use to recognize uh, good and bad habits and to. Uh, you know, the necessary components to to actually being able to change a habit. Well, one of the things I want to, because I tend to want to be specific and helpful, I don't like to put things in good or bad, simply because things aren't good or bad, but I would say habits as sort of preferable or not okay, preferable. Okay, I like or that. Or adaptive and maladaptive. Like it works well or it, it works, but just not very well. Right, right, right. So, so we have to throw away the nomenclature of good and bad habits then? Is that what you're saying? Well, good and bad, because unless it's really aspects of morality, right. I, I don't I don't want people to get stuck in more of a binary mode of thinking. Gotcha. Like it's either or. We need more shades of gray in, in our in this scenario. Right. As as really functional adults, we should do our best to live more abstractly in the sense like everybody has a different sense of strength and weaknesses or what they're more prone to practice versus not. But everybody, like, I want everybody to be literally their best version of who they are. Yeah. Because we all work together. Like, because we are social creatures, we're all going to do better when we are our best self. Mm. I would actually say that's one of, I'm glad you said it that way because I would, I would even put that in the tool set to recognize the shades, the, you know, the more shades between white and black, um, not just binary one or two, when it comes to understanding your personal habits, you know, whether, yeah. as I said, good or bad, but in your case, you're, you're suggesting that we be more flexible. And I agree with that because that I would actually see that as a tool to put in, in the folks chest or to in their, yeah. into their tool bag to, uh, to deal with habits. Well, yeah, because ironically, our brain, when we're computing things as an either or, then we're like in trouble with ourselves because now I'm on this side of the cliff versus that side of the cliff and there's a canyon or a chasm and shoot, now I'm screwed because I'm on the wrong side. Right, right. So now I'm going to amplify my brain's threat response of like, I'm in trouble and this is dangerous even when I don't want to be. So awesome. I'm glad 
that that's at, at the front uh, forefront of this. I like that. To go, we want we want to think more abstractly and going, you know, you talk about optimizing. Like, how do we be our optimized self? And does that have to look the same as anybody else's yeah. optimized self? And so second to that, I mean, we talk about having a sense of awareness. And the awareness would look like, does it work for me? Does it take me closer to or farther from my goal? Right. The things you're trying to do in life, Mm -hmm. whether it's career or personal or, you know, whatever the scenario is. Mm -hmm. What's your long-term goal, essentially? Yeah, I love it. So I don't know if you've read the book um, Essentialism. Yes. But it's, yeah. I say it fast because I love that book. (laughs) <laughs> One of my favorite chapters it's, is uh, is protect the asset. Yeah. And see if you can see, like, we are all so uniquely designed and that we're all designed to play a part within the greater whole. Like, what we could do is amazing, amazing. But the whole premise of this book is, like, I love the initial chapter where he's like, do ev- he's like quit doing everything that you don't want to do. <laughs> it seems so simple. Great right? advice. But, book done. <laughs> But that for us to begin to see, like, what do I just naturally do? What would I do independent of getting paid to do it? Right. Like, I don't need anybody to ever pay me to read a book. I, I'm i going to do that. Like, I can't Wouldn't help myself. Wouldn't it be myself. nice to be paid to read books, though? I mean, come on now. <laughs> it, as many books would. as you read, if you had a penny for every book you read, you'd be a thousand. Oh, my word. You'd be a thousand I would. or something. I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> But recognizing that th- this is part of, like, the unique design. And so how then do I hack my unique design that's going to work? And and I also think of it, so now I'm going to pull in, like, while we're, we're unique, that social component of going, we're all embedded in other relationships and families. And so just like you talked about the way in which mountain biking not only works for you, but with your family – I think of it like my team, like who's on my team? Who am I most often around Mm -hmm. that accompany me? And like in the world of brain injury, we always talked about our board of advisors like because their brains didn't work as well. (laughs) Like who's on my board of advisors? Who would assist me in being my best me that my choices actually have a direct or indirect impact on them? Yeah, that's true. So that they're going to help keep me accountable because we know that accountability, ironically, increases the likelihood of us reaching certain goals or habits that we want to achieve. Right. For the simple fact that we don't want to let people down. You know, if I was counting on you to do something and you let me down, you would feel bad about that. And, you know, that's not a good thing, obviously. So you want to feel good. And the natural thing would be to, uh, you know, follow through with whatever I was you know, thinking you should do based upon our goal setting or whatever. So, right. So identify how this new habit would actually not just benefit you, but work well for the other people with whom you're in relationship with. Yeah. Don't put yourself in isolation with your decision making because it, it, you know, if you made Mm -hmm. a choice to change a habit that you felt was more desirable, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Desirable, less desirable uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the polar opposites in this example. And if you went that route, then it was more desirable for you, had a positive outcome, but had negative outcomes on other people that were very close to you, then you might want to reconsider that choice. Right. Recognizing that it it's 
not just me that gets to benefit from it. They're going to help keep me accountable. And it's like there's additional dividends. Right. So an accountability partner is, is a key aspect in this tool set of, of habit, understanding, and formation and change. Yep. It's just going to enhance it. Yeah. Right? And so if we're looking at the social component, the sort of identifying our resources, then go, what nuances? What am I going to now replace it with? So I've identified how it doesn't work, how it's going to benefit me so I can hold that. And sometimes even putting that in your visual field mm-hmm. because we're all sort of dense. Like we just forget because we'll be distracted by X, Y, or oh, Z. Yeah. And so if I have it, like ironically, we don't want to look at what we're not doing. So if I put up on a calendar, say it's like I want to, you know, mountain bike four times this week, put an X on the calendar when you do it. Because you're not going to want to look at a calendar that's empty. Right. Yeah. Right? And identify then how you're going to replace it. So if I'm looking at, you know, my day and the context and saying I'm going to be more prone to do this in the evening as based on my work schedule and my other social relationships, my family can join me, et cetera. I'm going to put it up on the calendar. Then I have to go, what would I be – what's my default? What's my previous habit that I do? For example, a lot of people, if they're working outside the home, they I could imagine one obstacle would be, or default, they come home and they're like, I'm done, I'm tired, I'm not changing clothes, I'm going to sit on the sofa and turn on the TV. Yes. Playbook <laughs> plays out, TV watched, 11 o'clock, right. now you crack open the ice cream. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, you've gone the whole I'm, wrong way. What I love, though, is is what you said there. And I don't know if if the audience heard this as clearly as I did, but you said, look at what you want to do, right? Your desired outcome, the desired thing to do, and then look at what you're doing instead, Mm -hmm. right? So if if it's me mountain biking or going to the gym or whatever it might be, and instead I get home tired and I just sit down, what's the first part of the routine Mm -hmm. or the cue that plays out or routine that plays out as as part of the cue of getting home? You know, I right. want to get to the gym by six. What, do I, what am I doing instead of getting to the gym by six? Those are the things right. I need to replace. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So if that's the time that I've identified that that's when I'm going to implement a new habit, then I need to look at how do I hack it? And I would say, I'm not going to go home. Go right to the I'm gym. I'm going to take my, I'm going to go right to the gym. I'm going to take my bike with me. And, and really, like, brainstorm. It doesn't have to be just one. But you have to identify the replacement because retrieval at that time in that moment is going to default back to, your comfort to what zone. you've been. Yeah. And so, like, because it's sort of like tired, imagine. lonely, or hungry, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, on testing, there's all different ways to test. And so we can test via forced choice. Like, I will give you pick A, B, or C. Or there's, like... Tell me, you have to retrieve the entire response. What would you do in this situation? Forced choice answers, multiple choice answers are always easier because I don't have to do a full retrieval. Yeah. So in those moments when your brain has other things going on, the retrieval, not because of something that's personal to you, but rather because you're human, you're not going to be apt to withdraw in that moment. Yeah, that's that's so true. There's a lot of things in the moment we can't 
Um, it, it often happens actually in forums like this where you're speaking publicly, lots of people are listening, and you sort of get one chance to say it right. In retrospect, you're like, oh man, I should have said that thing instead of this thing. But in the moment, you you know, it just there's just too much going on for you to truly recall mm-hmm. what you what you you know what you might want to do. So imagine you're creating a forced choice option. So I'm saying I can take my clothes with me. I could change their at work then. Or I could figure out a way that a gym is in between my house and my home versus mm-hmm. right having to drive past my house. I could actually alter my route home so as to include that. Or I could look at who I'm going to meet at work or at home or whatever, making myself accountable so that I'm pulling on these different threads to help make me more accountable to the follow through. So accountability, whether it's self-induced or literally another human being, it seems like a key system to this as well. It is. It is. Because accountability, it's sort of like I can't lie to myself. Like so long as I don't say anything, it only exists in my mind. Right, I right, didn't yeah. make it I didn't make it real. Yeah, until it's real, it's you don't really do it. You can right? get away with but that. so yeah. but I, so I understand that so well. It's funny. Yeah, because there's like this opportunity for judgment, which then we could look at guilt, condemnation, shame, like pick the negative emotion for the lack of adherence. So long as I keep it coveted internally in my own brain, like nobody knows. Yeah. So if if there was one core takeaway uh, for habits, behavior change, cues, routines, rewards, dopamine, et cetera, around this subject, what, what would be the thing that gives the listeners confidence in changing habits and establishing you know, good routines for themselves when they're typically doing something that they don't like to do? What's a good takeaway here? I think that it's really important for people to recognize that and identify that they have to get a buy-in. They're never going to be apt to change a behavior unless they, one, are really uncomfortable, can recognize that there is a way in which the alternative, the desired behavior provides them an immediate benefit and that that has to be achievable and repeatable. If I can only hit the mark on one occasion, I'm not going to repeat it. But I want whatever I set as the payout to pay out repeatedly because I'm I'm really working on building an entirely new network in my brain that says this is the way to work we go. Yeah. It's interesting to think of it like that too. It's like you're establishing – uh, new pathways and yeah. some expectation of forging new pathways is sometimes pain, discomfort, potentially pleasure, you know, but there's a lot of the things that come in with the building process of anything, right? Yeah. And that's just it. At the beginning, it's always going to take more stamina because you're like, right, I'm pushing a rock up the hill to do this harder thing, but it's just unfamiliar. It's just not well-practiced. So if you can give yourself the time and the opportunities to repeat it, you know, then you are more likely to get where you want to go. But don't try to make these huge sweeping goals and changes all at once. I mean, if I am hacking down a forest or a pathway through a forest, one tree at a time. it's going to take me. 
Yeah. So don't get weary. Yeah. Don't get upset when you don't reach or what you expected to reach or get. And don't get weary because you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the time. And so I would I would offer to hold on to that intention. Hold on to that desired idea of where you want to be and how you want to feel and not the specificity around a particular goal immediately at that time. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Brain Science. If you haven't yet, please join us on this journey. We have so much to explore. Subscribe to this podcast at changelaw.com slash brain science. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast and anywhere else you can get podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Brain Science FM. You can also join our Slack community. It's free to join. Talk about all things brain science with me, Marielle, and the rest of the community. And if you have topics or suggestions for the show, we want to hear them. Email us, editors at changelaw.com. Huge thanks to our partners, Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our beats. And last but not least, if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed to get all of our podcasts. Head to changelaw.com slash master or go into your podcast app and search for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. It's one feed to rule them all. Get all of our shows plus some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.